Metamodern Era by Sri Mataji Nirmala Devi. Read by Sukhanil. Chapter 8 World Peace. We have to get awakened to the fact that in recent decades great destruction has been caused to our moral values as a result of our children, parents, and families getting influenced by the chaotic conditions of modern times. In order to secure a peaceful social and political order, it is essential to make every endeavor to resuscitate moral values. This purpose we must begin at the roots. We must give the greatest possible attention to our children, to their proper upbringing. For the children of today are the citizens of tomorrow. Today's children will constitute future society. It is not an investment in armaments which will secure a truly peaceful future. It is the investment in our children which will yield invaluable dividends in the shape of a peaceful and moral society in the near future. First of all, we have to look after our children, and this can be done well only if the parents understand how crucially important is this responsibility. The parents owe it to their children, to their society, and indeed to their country, to give special attention to the upbringing of the young ones of the family. Looking at the way things are today, it seems necessary to educate the parents themselves about their responsibilities and spiritual duties in this regard. To begin with, the destructive knowledge bequeathed by Freud must be thrown into the sea once and for all. This can be achieved by keeping Freudian psychology out of the syllabus of studies in schools and colleges. Parents should spend time with their children instead of leaving the house with their swimsuits for a holiday. Life is fun, but spiritual discipline is absolute. A complete check, of course secretly or sweetly, must be kept as to where the children go, when they return, and who their friends are. Parents should keep very pleasant company with their children. If this is done, children will look forward to the pleasure of spending time with their loving parents, instead of roaming around as street urchins. The aptitude of children should be discovered and encouraged. Children's company provides a great deal of innocent joy. Talking to them is such a pleasure. There was a young little boy, Akshaya, who fell down and broke his skull, but he recovered with Sajyoga. One day I called him and he started talking. He asked me, Mataji, do you know how to make biscuits? I told him, I do not know. So he started educating me. First you ask your mummy to clean the tray, then ask your mummy to make the dough, then ask your mummy to make balls of the dough, then you can flatten the balls. Then ask your mummy to put the tray inside the oven. She just uses gloves. Then ask your mummy to take out the tray when the biscuits are cooked. When they become cooler, you can collect them in a cake plate and eat them with your friends. I told him, Akshay, I have no mummy. So he said, Where's she gone? Better call her. I told him, She has gone to God. She cannot come. He felt really sorry, so he said, Then you cannot make biscuits. I will make some for you because I have a mummy. What a sweet dialogue between two friends. I have stores and stores of such beautiful stories. I can write a big book with these experiences. All entrepreneurs' efforts to spoil the innocence of children has to be attacked collectively by the parents. 
Films and videos which seek to put indecent and immoral ideas into the innocent minds of children should be banned. Parents should launch a campaign against such videos and films. The education and training of children should create respect for elders, respect for their teachers, respect for each other, and respect for society, respect for the country, and respect for all the people of the world, as we are expecting a global transformation. They should learn and assimilate the concept of one human family, global peace, and global religion at a very young age. They should know through their caring parents that pure and selfless love is the most important thing in life, and that morality is the most valuable virtue, far more important than money. By reading well-selected stories and novels, children will take to a righteous life. Their language should be sweet and respectfully humble. They must be made aware that as members of the human race, they are at the apex of evolution, and they are born here on this earth to ascend even higher. The curriculum of studies for children should be developed with utmost care. Instead of selfish exclusivity, children should experience the joy of sharing. They should be given truthful information about people in other parts of the world so that they respect all peoples, regardless of their colour, creed or nationality. They must be made aware of the society that they are going to live in, the good part of it. There should be conferences to discuss what could be done to adjust these innocent children into chaotic modern society. They should never be forced to believe in any exclusive religion which creates problems and leads people to fight in the name of God. Moreover, children in the family should be encouraged to avoid hatred and possessiveness. If they are told from childhood, you should possess all the things that are around you, they will develop a terrible ego, even about all the useless toys that they have. The toys for children should be selected with utmost care. They should not promote or glorify violence, nor should they have violence as a theme. The children could have very beautiful or creative toys just to make them feel the beauty of creation. Toys in the shape of the horrible creatures of the past or of the present, which have been made in an ugly way, should not be given to children and should not be sold. Indeed, such toys should be banned. If some good toys are produced and all the dirty bad toys are banned, children will definitely develop a keen liking for toys which are creative and beautiful. When my daughters were small, I made it compulsory in a way that they should see only films made on the Ramayana or the Mahabharat or the Gita or the Bible. Surprisingly, they grew up with a taste for such movies, so much so that when I sent them to my mother's house, my sisters wrote to me that my daughters did not want to see any film which did not have a traditional theme or was not based on stories from the Puranas. Now my daughters are grown girls, and they are so different from the rest. This is just a way of developing a taste for good films. The children, then, do not like to see a film which is ugly. In my own experience, I have seen that children are basically very innocent and pure. Of course, if the mother and father quarrel all the time, or they read dirty books or see filthy films when the mother is pregnant, it has an adverse effect on the child. The parents must have complete rapport with their children and spend more time with them in handling them in a very loving, delicate manner. 
if instead of fighting with each other in the presence of children, the parents spend time talking to children in the house, keeping them company, they will definitely create very good children, great assets to society. Even when they take the children out, they should not take them to vulgar places. Children absorb everything, good or bad. They also learn to gamble. I knew of some children who used to bet on anything and fight. On the other hand, children who are brought up by their parents with loving and caring attention become such beautiful, lovable sweeties. Gradually, such children start losing their sense of possessiveness and acquisitiveness. We have two children from America who came to our school, and they became very thin. When I asked, why are they becoming thin? The school authorities said, they are only asking for McDonald's burgers and things like that, and in this school we don't have that provision. Gradually the children changed their taste and acquired a liking for homemade food. The next year, when they went back home, the parents were very surprised. They asked them, would you like to go to McDonald's? And the children said, no, no, we don't like it. We don't want to go to all those fast food shops. We will eat whatever is cooked in the house. The parents were very pleased with this transformation. In order to display their happiness and love, the parents told their children, now we want to buy something of your choice for you, as you'll be going back to school. The children thought for a while, and then they said, can we have your photograph for our school friends? These children are so sweet and are now doing well in the class. They have again put on weight and are looking very normal. I've noticed that if a house is clean, neat and tidy, and if a lot of love is used in arranging the house, children don't like to spoil it. They like to keep it clean all the time. I remember that once my granddaughter came to my house and started cleaning one spot on the carpet. Normally, in England, people are so particular about keeping their carpets all right because everything is to be sold later. I was told that this little granddaughter of mine had been working on the carpet for one hour at least, so I asked, Why are you cleaning it yourself? We can get it cleaned later. No, no, she said. Grandma, your house is so beautiful and so clean that I must not spoil it with this spot which looks so ugly. I was amazed at her understanding and the way she felt responsible. So if children are made responsible for making things beautiful and for keeping them clean and tidy, they would certainly do so. We have seen this works very well in India, and children immediately take to something which is creative, artistic, beautiful, and which has some message in it. This is how we can develop their deeper sensitivity. The idea that let children do what they like is just a labour-saving device. Some of these ideas have really created very unruly children who get into violence very early to attract the attention of the parents or the teachers. The children are born to parents. They do not come down from trees. So who is going to help them to shape themselves? Even the teachers have to help the children in the right manner. In schools in Western countries, great emphasis is being laid on teaching about sex, even to children of a small age. This creates curiosity in immature minds and results in all kinds of sex-related problems among children. Most young children's minds are like clay. They can be moulded very easily into beautiful shapes. But if handled carelessly, the shape can be deformed. They have no pornographic images in their innocent minds, 
If they are bombarded with constant images of sex and violence through schools, media and books, as their minds are like a photographic camera, they retain these impressions, and in their leisure time, all these pictures dance before them. At that age, there is no need to talk about sex openly, because in the countries where people have not talked about sex, the children don't know about sex until they are quite grown up, and they just keep out of it until they have to know at the time of puberty. In any case, sex education is provided best by parents, father to the son and mother to the girl. Sex education in an open classroom has the effect of exciting the children and inducing them to experiment with sex at a very early age. Uninhibited and excessive indulgence in sex at an early age causes serious health problems and creates a permissive society. The children lose their sense of shame about sex, which is an exceedingly private matter. In India, if one starts such education in any school, parents will withdraw their children immediately from schools of this kind. Those parents who send their children to westernized schools are themselves under the influence of Western values. Most of the schools in the West are flooded with this kind of sexual perversion because children already know what sex is and they want to indulge in it. The teachers have to teach the children how to love in the pure sense of the word, how to be compassionate, how to be detached, and how to be useful to the society. That is the first lesson that has to be imbibed by the children. Other things like arithmetic and spelling and all that can follow, but the main thing for the teachers should be to instill all these qualities in the children, firstly by their own high standards, and secondly by teaching them through good books written by great souls, as well as books which show how a person suffers if he does not have these qualities, or does not heed the commandments which have to be followed. In India, when people dine together, no one passes salt or a salt container by his or her hand directly to the hand of another person at the table because of the belief that the person giving salt and the person receiving it by hand would tend to quarrel. The moral of this practice is that nothing should be done which tends to promote a quarrel. The feeling has to come first that we do not want to quarrel with anyone because it is against human dignity. Children should be made aware that human beings are at the epitome of evolution. They have to know that we should be peaceful, friendly, and please others. We cannot be like animals. To please others is very important, and this should be taught to children by every possible method. The children should know that avoiding quarrels is not a sign of weakness in personality, and that living together peacefully and happily is glorious. One must forgive and forget. That is a virtue. Once the children start enjoying virtues, they will not take to foolish things. In India, a few years ago, some westernized people started a newspaper for teenagers. We never divided our lives like adults or teenagers. This was a modern idea. They came to meet my elder daughter when she was just thirteen years of age. I was asked to leave her alone. They asked her very odd questions. One of them was, have you got a boyfriend? So she said, I have many girlfriends and I have many brothers, cousins. In India, cousins are brothers in every sense of the word. The next question was, do you not want to be free like a bird to fly in the sky? She responded, let my wings grow first. 
Then attacking the mother, they said, Does she control you? She said, She loves me, and I do not want to do anything to displease her. She knows what is good for me. A strong sense of self-respect must be inculcated in the children to such an extent that they should not go on asking for things and demanding things and quarrelling about things. This can be done by talking to them and telling them stories of self-respecting people. Once we had gone to Brighton and my two granddaughters were with me. They went on a ride on a small little railway train. When they came back, the younger one wanted to go back on the same train and started crying. Suddenly she felt, what am I doing? Her self-esteem came up, and she just hid her face and said, I'm sorry, Grandma, I'm sorry. She kept hiding her face for quite some time, and so I asked, why are you hiding your face? She replied, I feel very ashamed about the way I behaved. Children can mature very well and very fast in their innocence if we give them a chance and develop the proper attitude to understand them and respect them. By positive reinforcement of their virtues and their little, little attainments, they are encouraged and they learn what is good is always appreciated. I have another very good memory about my second daughter. She stood first in the Master of Arts examination in Bombay University. Before that, in Mumbai, Bombay, she went to a college which was rather westernised. One day she asked me whether she could wear sleeveless blouses, as many girls were doing. I told her, Now you were grown up, you can decide for yourself. Then she asked, Mother, why do you not wear sleeveless blouses? I said, I do not want to expose my shoulder joints, because if I expose them, I may develop some pain. Moreover, I am very traditional. She thought for a while and then said, There must be some deeper reasons. Then I had to tell her that both the shoulder joints have the most important chakras, named as Sri Chakra and Sri Lalita Chakra, which must be covered. She was very shocked. She said, Mother, then you should not permit me to do anything which is wrong. You are my mother, much wiser. You should have just said no and should have saved my chakras. Films for children should be previewed by parents and sponsored by a parents' committee, and all other films which are not meant for children should be shown on television only after nine o'clock, when the children should be fast asleep. All films which show monsters, dead bodies or spirits and all sorts of things which frighten the children should not be shown. Once they are frightened at such a tender age, they carry the memory of that fright with them. We have treated many children for having fears about the moon, or a tree, or a dog. All these fears are caused by people who narrate frightening stories to little children. These fears are very persistent, and can be removed only by persistent and patient efforts to demonstrate to the children that there is no truth in the frightening stories narrated to them. I have found out that one of the causes of psychosomatic diseases like cancer is the built-in fear children imbibe in their childhood. Sometimes such fears make them behave in a strange way. They even devise ways of secretly destroying others of whom they are afraid. People who get married should have a clear understanding as to why they are getting married. If they want to have children, they should know why they are having children. The code of conduct for married people should be such that it brings forth the best in them and enables them to realise their dreams of a happy married life. 
There are many couples who live together without being married. When they do get married, usually in the West, they get very upset with each other. The reason is that the law provides that if a married couple divorces, then the money is divided in half, the house is divided equally, and so many people are afraid of that. In a country like America, I have seen women who could be called princesses because they have amassed a lot of wealth by divorcing ten times and taking half the wealth of each divorced husband. Some of these ex-husbands of such women are eventually left behind as paupers. This is a common disease in that country, where women have got such rights under the law to protect them. They are turning marriages into business enterprises, so much so that people have to say, Now protect us from these women. This kind of a law was all right a long time ago, but now it is very dangerous, and something should be done to change it and to stop this kind of divorce, which is only a money-making endeavour. The films that we see these days are no way near what used to be produced in earlier times. First, the language is not understood by anybody but Americans, if they are American films. If they are English films, they cannot be understood by anybody other than the British. In the olden days, pronunciation in English films used to be very clear. Now things are very different. Now English is pronounced in an Americanized way. Even television news readers are not as careful about pronunciation as they used to be, but they are very speedy and fast. At the same time, the pronunciation of some people who have left England or have left America and are settled in India, Hong Kong or Japan is much better than those of the people who live in England or America. What is most disturbing about the present-day films is the fact that most of them are full of nauseating sex and terrible violence. There are no events, no story, as if there are no more good writers who had such creativity that every film was a film of eternal value. They have a very evil influence on the society, especially on the young. These films must be censored by very idealistic people. There should be rules and regulations prescribing the parameters within which films may be created. Much of today's films cannot be described as art. In fact, they are grotesque and vulgar. If it is pure art, you do not need sex and violence to impress people. Art itself is most impressive. But nowadays, to suit public taste, all kinds of low-level films are created. Despite all the development in the film industry, the films produced are very insipid. They're going from bad to worse, and there is no effective censoring. There should be a censor board of people who are known to be very good morally and who can correct this kind of production. Children's films especially should be previewed and censored most carefully. They should aim at enhancing the children's moral and compassionate value system. Films should not be money-oriented, but culture-oriented. The policy for education should be the same. Children should be encouraged to read good books written by great and noble men of the whole world, not only of their own country. They should develop a great liking for books which are biographies and autobiographies, rather than science fiction which is imaginary, or some sort of a warmonger's life story. If you put before them all these horrible characters, the children absorb easily the qualities of bad people. Older boys and girls could read books which demonstrate 
how an immoral life is ruinous and dangerous. The theory that there should be absolute freedom for children is also very dangerous. Their real freedom can be given later, when they understand the meaning of freedom, which can be benevolent, if they are wise and mature. Parents should take pride in their age, and not be crazy like the younger generation in their stupidity. Once I gone to America, Santa Monica, accompanied by an Indian lady. One morning she knocked at my door and said, Get up soon, get up soon. I couldn't understand it. I just came and opened the door and asked, What's the matter? She said, There's an earthquake coming. I said, What makes you think that? She said, All the people are running on the road. I said, Where? I came out and I saw all the people running, no doubt because they were going for a jog, and I told her, This is an exercise they take early in the morning called jogging. She said, No, no, but there are many old women and men running also, so how can that be? How can they behave in the same manner as the younger people are doing? They're very thin and old, they might get a heart attack. I told her, You don't know, this is America. Here, older people have not yet matured enough to understand that it is wrong for them to run in the way the young people are running. In America, the old people still want to do everything which young people are doing. They have no wisdom, so the young people do not respect them. Let us now move from the family to the society. The society in the West, surprisingly, is not at all individualistic or traditional. Whatever is the fashion, they take to it, and sometimes it is impossible to understand why they are trying to copy these new fashions every day, throwing away all their old clothes every year and buying new ones, allowing the fashion designers to exploit them. The old people are not living with the decency and dignity their age demands. If we teach children how to respect themselves, and also how to keep their esteem intact, they will not take to these expensive ways of the West, but they will take to decent, respectful living, and will grow up as responsible citizens and good members of the society. My grandson, when he was young, told me, You must get me shoes like those worn by Grandpa, and I would like to have a dress like that of Grandpa. I said, They are very old. He said, It doesn't matter. I don't want to wear a dress like a person who is mod. I was amazed that he wouldn't wear anything untraditional. Gradually, as time passed, you see, he came in contact with other children, and he started accepting the Western clothes, which he had earlier considered to be very ugly, and had felt strongly that there was no dignity about them. Nowadays, even very small children wear mod dresses, which does not give a personality any dignity from very childhood. The society of modern ideas is nothing but a collective, accepted, shameless expression of their weaknesses. There is an annual carnival in Rio. People strive to save money to attend that stupid, vulgar exposition. We have things like Halloween, celebrated everywhere. I wanted to purchase a house in New York. When we went to that house, we noticed that it had a horrible face of a witch with a broomstick, symbolising Halloween on the front door, because it must have been the month of Halloween. Seeing that, my granddaughter said, Better not buy this house, it displays a witch in the front. What's the use of going inside the house? It is very true that these days there is no distinction between the witches, the good ladies, prostitutes and the actresses. There is such a mix-up in these modern societies 
that you just don't know what word to choose. For example, I have seen that in social parties, the ladies come funnily dressed in the sense that they are quite nude according to any standard of formal dress, and they try to flirt with men, and they smoke with such pride and look at people with such lusty eyes. It is the same with the men. Both men and women come to parties mainly to flirt with each other. It is amazing how people indulge in these activities in such a shameless way. Fairly old men have no shame in marrying young girls one after another. I've not yet seen any old man flirting with a very young girl in an open garden. That means there is some shame about it. But marrying a girl who is thirty years younger is not considered to be objectionable in modern societies. Even the prime ministers of some countries do that. Some time ago, we noticed that a particular person coming to the conferences in London brought a new wife every time he came. Once he brought a girl of about eighteen years of age. My husband whispered in my ear, It is his new wife, don't address her as his granddaughter. I was shocked. He was an old man of about sixty-five years, and he had a little eighteen-year-old girl as his bride. I was told that these young brides called their old husbands sugar daddy or something like that. Of course, they have their own boyfriends and just use the money of these old johnnies as they live in complete sin, marrying a good-for-nothing old man and living with young people. Some men bring models or prostitutes as spouses. It is ridiculous the way people have accepted this kind of thing. Even officially, such spouses are invited and their travel expenses and hotel charges are paid for. Why not change this word spouse and make it legal wife or legal husband? It will cut down on many embarrassing events. One of the curses of these modern times is that people go on accepting all that is destructive, all that is vulgar, all that is shameless, one by one. There is no resistance of any kind, and if somebody resists, then they think that the person is absolutely not in. If the older people like to lead an immoral life, how can we begrudge the younger generation? The media, especially newspapers, are another species of present-day monsters. They destroy and devour all that is sweet and beautiful in the society. They believe in sensationalism. Some of them delve in character assassination and wild allegations. Anybody can go and complain to them about anybody. They will make little effort to find the truth and will publish whatever they have heard from anyone who might well be a very unreliable source. There is no way that you can stop them from doing that because they have freedom of expression. Whether it is correct or incorrect, they will publish it. And people have hardly any redress because legal proceedings are very expensive and can be ruinous, at least in the West. In India, the situation is not quite the same and an inexpensive legal redress is still possible. For example... Three foreign journalists went to India and trespassed on our school and made all kinds of false statements about it. A complaint was filed against them and the court has decided that these foreign journalists will have restraints lodged against them if they ever came to India again. For this, the embassy concerned was not very happy, though their journalists have used this news against us all over Europe, especially in Belgium, France and also in other countries where some people of the Catholic Church 
are disturbed at our success. They have an organization called ADFI, which is constantly prying into the activities of the religious and spiritual organizations and maligning them by describing them as cults. I do not know if the Catholic Church is not the greatest cult. If the definition of a cult is an organization that indulges in violence, or has illegal weapons, or makes tainted money, then the Catholic Church itself could be called a cult, because all these things are happening within the Catholic Church. They call us a cult even though it is well established that in Sage Yoga we have no secrets, underground or clandestine activities, and that Sage Yoga is a purely spiritual organization working for the benefit of all people of the world. Furthermore, which of the Western countries are supposed to be secular? I'm sorry to say that in England, only the Church of England is the state religion, all others are not. In Spain, in Italy, in Austria, and especially in France, it is the Catholic Church which is the recognized religion, and everything that is not Catholic is always treated like a cult. Apart from maligning people and assassinating their character, some newspapers and magazines play another very dangerous role, that of giving very scandalous information to people. They are so poor in quality that they have to use the photographs of half-nude women to attract readers. Their whole intelligence is devoted to selecting the most exposed photograph. These newspapers have no real concern with regard to the problems that are facing all the countries of the world today. They are mainly interested in publishing salacious stories, catering to the worst element in human nature. Or they start campaigning against some people in important positions, out of mischief or prejudice. This is what they did in France, to a former secretary-general of UNESCO. It is difficult to understand how one could be involved in such acts of complete degradation. Frivolous allegations were made against the then secretary-general. One of them was that his wife had used the official car to go from Paris to Brussels to attend the funeral of the wife of an ambassador. See chapter 4. The lady had informed the office before taking the car and had done so to reach Brussels in time for the funeral, as flights were not available at that time. Various other allegations were also made, indicating a desire to malign an outstanding secretary-general who had served the member states with great devotion. He had arranged for the translation into different languages a number of great books from various countries. He had also helped many countries in preserving their ancient monuments, which culturally were the common heritage of humankind. Western people are so impressionable that they tend to accept as truth whatever the newspapers publish. This sensational trend is going from bad to worse. For example, they are so scandalous that they wrote gleefully about the price at which the undergarments of Jacqueline Kennedy and Nassis were to be sold. So filthy and so dirty is the mind which writes about such things in the newspapers. Surprisingly, this trend has also now impressed the people who are at the helm of religions. For example, in England, some eminent leaders of the Protestant Church are now adopting an attitude of understanding and tolerance in respect of men and women cohabiting without marriage. This was once regarded as a sin, but no longer. Since much of the press and other elements of the media have abused their freedom and have become a menace to children, to families and indeed to society, it is now necessary to bring them under proper control. 
I'm fully in favour of the freedom of human beings and also of the press. The press should have the sanity to know its responsibility. It is for giving news that will bring benevolence and security. It is to bring eternal value to the readers. We do have laws to control human beings and to prevent them from killing or raping or robbing. Why can't we have laws to control the media which is running amok? These days anybody can start a newspaper. Only those who have a proven sense of responsibility and dignity of morality and some sense of understanding of other countries as well should be allowed to start newspapers. All the editors must first be examined by a group of eminent persons to see if they are unbiased, honest and noble people. Newspapers should not get into the hands of crooks. Once a paper gets into wrong hands, it is impossible to stop all kinds of horrible, sensational, nonsensical, rotten news and editorials from being published. Of course, one must acknowledge that some of the newspapers have done a good job in finding out and exposing grave misdeeds of men in power. But there are not many instances of this kind, despite the fact that the media is very honest and powerful. On the contrary, the power of expression is so highly misused by newspapers that at present one cannot do anything about it. Clearly, then, there is the need for a high-level board or committee which should intervene and punish severely newspapers which engage in publishing palpably wrong or scandalous stories. No scandal should be allowed to be published in the newspapers, and this will be the best that one can do for public life and for family lives. The newspapers should be children-proof, so that even children can read them. What is the use of giving all the filth of hell as an announcement in the newspapers? It is just money-making by giving false but sensational news. Once the newspapers start sensibly and with a sense of responsibility, I am sure they will make much more money, because so many people who have given up reading newspapers because of their filth will resume reading them. Apart from this, newspapers like to give distressing and shocking news all the time. The front page is nearly always full of stories and pictures about war and killings, about disease and starvation, about natural or man-made disasters. It is much too much to begin one's day with disturbing and upsetting news of this kind. It is essential that so much importance should not be given to such horrible scenes or to such horrible happenings. A serious effort should be made to give prominence to good happenings, to instances of people being helped, to events which influence people and transform them into good, honest and chaste human beings. But presently there is no way of expressing such ideas through any media. They only want to know how many people died, how many were killed and how many disappeared. In the films, as in the media and the newspapers, nowadays there is a trend towards showing very intense, vulgar romances and love affairs for which the lovers or their opponents engage in awful violence and even in murder. This really creates an illusionary world of love and family life. It is not yet understood by the filmmakers and also the media and the newspapers that they are responsible for ruining society and all that is good. They do not try to put more accent on the goodness of life. They are very money-oriented. 
They also have so many great plans to make pornography legal through newspapers. By joining hands with wrong people, they produce their glorified images. For example, some of them project a kind of missionary in a developing country who collects money by showing off Christ's compassion all the time. Substantial donations are collected, and these are perhaps shared with the media. Altogether, this seems to be a profitable business. The media can build up even a Peace Prize-winning image. No one knows where all this money is going and what is happening. There are no properly audited accounts. People who are sensitive, especially those in the West, get very impressed by such persons. Once a missionary came to a conference and started saying, You must think about the poorest of poor. You must take something out of your lunch for the poorest of poor, and so on and so forth. All the Western people in the audience heard these three or four sentences, and to our amazement they started crying. They donated so much money to that missionary, and it is said that the missionary collects people from streets, baptizes them and converts them into Christians. Those who fall sick and die are buried or cremated unceremoniously. The media are promoting the images of such missionaries practically in every developing country. Actually, the media people work according to mental processes, and the mental movement is always linear and proceeds only in one direction. Presently, it is purely money-oriented. There is another serious problem relating to the media. In the olden days, news was regarded as completely objective. Comment was free, but it had to be made on objective criteria. These impeccable principles of journalism have now been thrown overboard. The same event is reported in one way by one newspaper and in quite a different way by another. And comments? Far from being objective, they are in many cases brazenly biased. If you read Rupert Murdoch's papers, you will know what I mean. No wonder the reading public gets totally confused. Thus we remain attacked all the time, facing the horrible newspapers, which, according to Saj Yoga, can give us blood cancer. I would blame the media the most for shattering the reader's value system and bringing such disaster to this world. Religious fundamentalism and fanaticism have already become a threat to world peace. We had a discussion with some religious people in Italy, and they refused to accept a religion which was global. They wanted to have exclusive religions. In this way, they promote conflict between the followers of one religion and those of another. They believe that killing others in the name of religion is their duty. On the other hand, all the great philosophers, incarnations, prophets and Sufis have never talked about any exclusive religion. Confucius first talked about humanity, but then came Tao of Lao Tse, who tried to bring the subtle side of humanity. This Tao is something like the Kundalini of Saj Yoga. I've travelled through the Yangtze River. This voyage on a boat gave me a unique experience and enabled me to understand Lao Tse very well. In the beginning, this river is a very dangerous one for boats to pass through. There are lots of currents which flow in different directions, but along the side of this river there are beautiful manifestations of nature. The very steep rising mountains that we see in the paintings of the Chinese are all to be seen there.
with rivers flowing between them. It is very beautiful to see the bank of the Yangtze River. As Lao Tse has said, it may be very beautiful and attractive outside, but you should keep your mind inside and ply through the Yangtze River. This is very significant, but how many understand what he has said? How many have tried to follow him? In China, many people do not seem to care much for Lao Tse and his Tao, but there will come a time when they will realize that the Tao is the subtle side of humanity. In Japan, we had another great master whose name was Viditama. He was the disciple of Lord Buddha when he went to Japan and started the Zen system. Zen means meditation, dhyan, and he wanted people to become thoughtlessly aware. He found out many ways of making people thoughtlessly aware. The tea ceremony and the temples that they have are all meant to create thoughtless awareness. I was amazed that none of the Japanese knew what were the purpose of these gardens. There is one garden which has some moss on top of a hill in a very small area, and it is very interesting. You have to see the flowers and other foliage there through a magnifying glass. All this should amaze a person, and one should become thoughtlessly aware. That was the idea of Zen. But, surprisingly, few understood Zen. Then there was a prophet, Zoroaster, who was born five times in his country, Persia. Ultimately, Muhammad Saab had to come to say something very clearly about religion. But the people who followed Muhammad Saab never realized the oneness of his preaching or that of Zoroaster, and they made all the Persians run away to all the other countries, and so many of them came to India. Muhammad Saab has talked about Abraham, Moses, Christ in a series, as they came one after the other. He has especially talked about the mother of Christ with great respect. In the Bible, she is not given so much respect because of Paul, who edited the Bible. She is just called the woman. But Prophet Muhammad says that anyone who talks against this holy lady will be punished, or something to that effect. So one can see that Muhammad Saab never talked of Islam as an exclusive religion. Islam means, I surrender to God Almighty. But so many followers of Islam are fighting the followers of other religions, and even amongst themselves. The worst part is the practice of conversion. People are being converted from one religion to another not for faith, but for non-religious reasons, such as matrimony or monetary gain. Bitter fights are going on in different parts of the world between followers of different religions, all in the name of God Almighty. This cruel phenomenon is not understood by any saintly person. Groups of people claiming to profess the Islamic religion are in the forefront of these fights. The Sufis amongst the Islamic people try to tell them that this is not the way to behave if you are a follower of Muhammad Saab because this brings a bad name to Muhammad Saab and to Islam. There are some people who believe that Islam should be spread by jihad. This was never the idea of Muhammad Saab. At the time when he was here on this earth, the people were facing a very difficult situation because there were lots of tribes and these tribes were fighting and killing all people who were taking to Islam. That was the time when it was all right to talk about jihad but today there is no such problem. Moreover, by talking incessantly of jihad, they are becoming very unpopular.
Not only that, actually they have achieved nothing. By doing all this, have they achieved their self-realization? Have they attained their kiyama? And have they found the truth? Nothing of the kind has happened to them. They are diverting the attention of people to wrong things and are trying to do something which is absolutely no good for the peace of the world. It is because of them there are many cold wars going on in so many places. In Chechnya there is a war going on. Wars are going on in other countries as well, where the Muslims are thinking that they are the chosen ones and that the whole world should become Islamic. The other day I met a very important man from Russia, and he said, Why is the UN helping these Muslims? I said, Why not? He replied, Muslims who have been a part of our country now want to separate their territories and thus break the integrity of our country. They believe that their religion is the only authentic one. They want to propagate Islam by their swords. Not only that, but they want to produce as many children as they can, treating their women as children producing factories. Their idea seems to be to increase the number of Muslims rapidly and thus to change the pattern of population in favour of Islam in a democracy, and thus they might eventually rule every country. Now one has to understand that any democracy should not allow an exclusive religion to be the basis of the state. Religion is a personal matter, and every human being should have the right in each and every country to follow the religion of his or her free choice. Single religion states are an anachronism in the present age. When a country is declared as Islamic, or Christian, or Jewish, the followers of that one particular religion become superior citizens, and others have an inferior status. This is totally contrary to the accepted concept of equality in a true democracy. These exclusive religions are absolutely blind faith-oriented. People believing in them follow their religious injunctions blindly and divide themselves into antagonistic groups. In England now, some church leaders have proclaimed that all kinds of people who are supposed to be living in sin, according to the Christian religion, can attend and join the church. They have done so because attendance at the churches is very thin and they want to attract larger congregations, even by diluting and downgrading religious and moral values. The number of practicing Christians has decreased sharply, to the extent that they cannot run their churches nor pay their clergy properly. So they have put this big liberal project before the public as a report. They say that if people have got genes of the wrong kind, how can they help it? This is now an open invitation to immorality and getting away with it by blaming it on one's genes. This is also a very dangerous postulation because it suggests that inherited genes determine the character of a person which cannot be improved by education or religion or spirituality. The truth is that the characteristics of inherited genes can be altered. It has to be understood that we can change our genes all the time. For example, after transformation through Sahaja Yoga, people's genes get restructured and they become righteous, loving and powerful people. This shows that the genes absorb impressions from our day-to-day -day life. Also, we see every day that all the children of the same parents do not have the same nature or characteristics. One child of the same father and mother may be brilliant, 
and angelic. The other may be stupid and devilish. It can be seen very clearly also that if genes are what we have inherited, then there is no need to have a church, nor is there a need to have any congregation. But one must know that if our churches had done a sincere job, the genes of the Christians would have changed as they have changed in Sajyoga, where Jews worship Christ and Muslims worship Shiva. So people are fighting in the name of God, and there is no world peace. Behind all these activities, there is also powerful money orientation, and, when it comes to economics, the people of the highest order in a religion succumb to compromise, however immoral it may be. They have neither character nor courage, nor real faith to resist fashionable trends of money business. In fact, they allow their followers to swim with the evil currents of the day, and thus lead them into hell, from where there is no return. These religions inject fixed ideas into the brains of people. These fixed ideas start developing in a collective way, and this can produce a very big, collective monster, which can believe only in killing others and pushing its own ideas. Hitler had fixed ideas, and he believed that the Germans were a superior race. The idea that the Germans were the highest race was the greatest absurdity. The Germans killed children in gas chambers and devised methods to have en masse killings. How could they be people of the highest race? The highest race is that of saints. In their life, compassion and love are the only drink they have and which they enjoy. To call the Germans the highest race is to degrade the rest of the human race and brand it as inferior or even primitive. This is racism of the worst kind. I have heard that in Germany they had a very great saint in the 13th century who was highly respected even today all over the world. Surprisingly, Germans have been claiming that they are the ones who wrote the Vedas. This is another extreme of false notion about oneself. How could these people, who are always thinking that they are a higher race and that they have a right to kill others, write such advanced philosophical treatises like the Vedas? Though Hitler is dead and the Second World War ended fifty years ago, we still find that a new type of fascism is coming up in the world. It is emerging in Italy, in France, and indeed all over Europe. You find this type of neo-fascism all over the European continent. Even the extreme right-wing in politics is nothing but fascism, and this fascism is seeping smoothly into the minds of the people. They have even voted for the right wing in so many countries in Europe, especially in France. It is amazing that after being subjugated and dominated by the Germans for three years, the French still have these ideas about right-wing fascists. Perhaps the French have been contaminated by this trend from the Germans who lived there. A lady who ran away from France and built a house very near Switzerland because her husband was a Russian told me that the French always believed that the Germans were a very great race and a very powerful nation. I was surprised at such French people who believed in such fascist ideas. The results of the election in the year 1995 have shown that the French have voted for a right-wing man who is known to be completely bureaucratic. As soon as he was elected, he declared that he would have a nuclear explosion in the Pacific. 
What was the need to have this kind of explosion in the South Pacific at a time when we are talking of destroying all atomic or nuclear weapons? Does he want to have another war with some other nations because the power of Russia does not threaten them anymore? And of which country is Europe now afraid? Why should the French test a nuclear weapon in the Pacific, torturing nations like Australia and New Zealand? It looks like a political trick, because the French have lost their diplomatic status through their alcoholic philosophy, so they want to create a nuisance to impress the Americans. Sometimes I feel that Hitler is born again and again, and shows his deeds all over the world. How can people succumb to his racist, monstrous ideas even today, and vote for such people? It took nine years for Hitler to cause the Second World War. He was very much against the Jews, and the atmosphere in those days in Germany was extremely decadent and immoral. He took advantage of both these things, and tried to poison the minds of young people. For all those nine years, what were the European countries doing? Were they sleeping? Or were they busy fighting the recession so much that they did not even notice the rise of Nazis in Germany and fascists in Italy? After all the destruction done already through the mental idea that those who have a higher IQ are superior, now the new theory of EQ has established itself. If there is no balance between emotions and intelligence, then a person becomes a brute. There are many people even today who do not want to know about emotional intelligence, EQ, who believe that they belong to a higher race and that they can destroy all the rest of the people because they don't belong to that race or maybe that religion. All such fixed ideas constitute a grave threat to peace in any country and indeed to global peace. For example, the Muslims believe in a formless God. Islam is a religion which teaches absolute detachment from worldly things. But what are they doing? They are fighting for a piece of land here and there, and troubling everyone and torturing so many. They themselves are also being tortured. They call this jihad, and they believe quite stupidly that by getting killed in a jihad, they will get their resurrection. All these fixed ideas can be neutralized only through self-realization, because through self-realization one knows the reality. The reality, the truth, is that this world is one, that nothing belongs to anyone in particular, and that there is no need to fight for any territory or for land whatsoever. Of course, for protection from blindly cruel, aggressive nations, people should form boundaries around their country and try to protect themselves. It would be unwise to ignore the fact but there are so many destructive people who are trying to destroy the peace of the world. We must be vigilant against them. But that is no reason for promoting quarrels and fights everywhere. Another problem is that the United Nations, as it is today, is trying to maintain a balance among different powers and groups. In this process, it makes great mistakes. Sometimes it supports very negative people who are barbaric, who are violent, and who are terrorists. Before taking any decision as to what other countries should do, the UN should have a full idea as to the motives of aggressive countries. Sometimes these aggressive countries sound extremely reasonable and logical, 
and create such an image that all the negativity of the rest of the world is drawn towards that. First, the UN should find out what is the purpose of these people, what is their background, and what sort of ideas they have. Only then they will not be deceived by the tricks of aggressive people like Saddam Hussein. In some countries, there is a decline in the economy or great social turmoil caused by unemployment. In order to distract the attention of the public, the rulers try to start a war with another country. This is how a number of wars are started in this world. Once a country becomes powerful, the corrupting influence of power makes it frightfully ambitious. Such a country thinks nothing of interfering in the affairs of another country or even attacking it, regardless of the misery which a war causes to the people. If a country is attacked, it has to defend itself. This sets in motion a chain reaction, and a wider conflict may arise. Look at the situation between Iraq and Iran, or between Turkey and Greece. As we all know, wars start in the hearts and minds of military and political rulers, who are power and money-oriented. The only way to prevent wars and to promote global peace is to work for the transformation of people in power, so that they go beyond the mind and take to the path of righteousness rather than that of aggrandizement. The mind is a myth. The brain is the reality. I have written a lot about racism earlier. One can see the primitiveness of these racists in the manner in which they try to kill each other like animals. Mahatma Gandhi said that Ahimsa, non-violence, is the only way we can get rid of war. It is true that Indians fought the British with non-violent methods to achieve their freedom, but non-violent methods to gain freedom may sometimes result in the sacrifice of great lives for the country when the ruling power uses brutal methods. This is what happened in India in several instances. Fortunately, by divine blessing, a Labour government came into power in the United Kingdom immediately after the end of the Second World War. This government voluntarily initiated a process which resulted in India's independence. Unfortunately, not all countries have the same good luck. There are numerous instances of dependent countries having to sacrifice a great many precious lives to gain freedom. Sometimes people whose countrymen suffered atrocities in an earlier period begin to think in terms of revenge. For example, those whose forefathers were tortured and ruthlessly killed by Hitler's Nazis in Germany constantly think of taking revenge on the current generation of Germans. This is totally wrong. The present-day Germans had nothing to do with the Nazis. No guilt whatsoever is attached to them. They are a new generation, and they are peace-loving, good human beings. For example, in Germany now we have lots of Sajogis, and they are so beautiful and so gentle that you can't believe that they could be the descendants of the followers of Hitler. In Austria, again, the Sajogis are great seekers, and they are full of humility and goodness. They are also German-speaking people. There is no trace at all of any harshness in the character of these people. On the contrary, they are a model for other Sajogis in their kindness and good behaviour. The first time I went to Russia, these German Sajogis came rushing to help me. I asked them, Why did you come all the way to Russia? They said, 
Mother, this is a country that was really harmed greatly by Germans, so we must make amends for what our forefathers did. With great love and such compassion did these Germans work for me in Russia, but whatever success Sajoga had in Russia can be credited very easily to them and to the British. The British have a small country, but in the prior centuries they conquered many other countries around the world, so that once upon a time they said the sun never set on the British Empire. In this process, the British committed many atrocities and killed many people. But that is all the past. The present generation is a new one, which cannot and must not be blamed for the past. These two nations, the Germans and the British, have given great Sajyogis to work in Russia. Now I have discovered that the Sajyogis from Austria are working for the benevolence of the people of Israel by promoting Sajyoga in that country. They are sending people to Israel. Could this have been possible without Sajyoga? The Germans who fought the Jews and killed them and tried to destroy them are now going to Israel to tell them about Sajyoga and to help them to attain the bliss of self-realization and transformation into spiritually evolved human beings. It really touches my heart to see that in these modern times such beautiful people are born who give their love and attention to those people who are victims of the cruelties of their forefathers. The so-called advancement of different countries doesn't give any kind of evolutionary push to the people of those countries. On the contrary, they get very money-oriented and go on working hard to get more and more and more. If this advancement doesn't give a person any inner satisfaction and peace, then what is the use of having this unlimited greed generated by advancement? Another big problem arises because of the existence of haves and have-nots, the rich and the poor. This problem is one of the biggest threats to world peace. The rich countries have to do a lot of rethinking. They have to understand that poverty anywhere is a threat to peace and prosperity everywhere. The rich countries have to control their greed for more and more for themselves. They have to give serious thought to the idea of one world, one human family. Environmentally, the world is one. Should we not begin to think in terms of one world economically and even politically? With some restraint on consumerism and with a determination to have only so much and no more, the rich nations can assist the poorer ones to rise above the poverty line and to lead a reasonable life. Such a compassionate approach will give enormous joy and inner satisfaction to the rich. It will, at the same time, promote a better social order and world peace. Now in Sarge Yoga, we have solutions for all these problems, which constitute a grave threat to world peace. First of all, we have to deal with fixed ideas. All such fixed ideas come from ignorance. They just vanish when you become a person who sees the reality and understands that this world is one. Those who believe in grabbing land under any pretext must understand that this land belongs to God Almighty and that we are here just to enjoy it and not to fight for it or to grab it from somebody else. Even a small piece of land can be enjoyed by a sage yogi because he is so much at one with nature that he enjoys the produce of even a small plot of land 
which he can properly cultivate and do justice to Mother Earth. The state of self-realization is like the state of a king who has his own kingdom. He enjoys his domain of spirituality. He doesn't care for worldly possessions. He enjoys giving all that he possesses, and that is the greatest enjoyment he has. He wants to give his love to everyone, and he loves his Creator. Some saints have also shown in their lives how much importance they give to love. Once a great Indian saint was taking a pitcher of water to be poured on a deity of a particular temple. For this, he had to walk for a month with his pitcher in his hand. But when he reached the temple, he saw a donkey who was very thirsty and on the verge of death. Immediately he gave up the idea of going to the temple and instead gave that water which he had carried to this donkey to save his life. All those who had carried the same kind of pitcher were amazed at him. How could he give this water to the donkey instead of taking it to the temple to pour over the deity, asked his companions. He answered in a very simple way. I don't have to climb up all these steps to go to the deity. The deity has walked down here already. They were amazed at his understanding, which was so subtle. But that is what it is. For a spiritual person, the highest thing is to spontaneously sacrifice everything for spiritual joy, because it is the most precious thing. Some people behave atrociously to grab the land of others, and they commit all kinds of sinful acts impelled by greed. But if they pause for a moment and think about what is the ultimate purpose of life, they will definitely change. The ultimate purpose is to achieve happiness and joy. But there is no happiness and joy in gathering all these material things. The greatest joy is in being one with the divine. Most of the people lose their values because of wars. They lose their faith in God Almighty. God has given freedom to human beings, which he would not wish to take away. Only through freedom can we learn about the Absolute. In school, a teacher tells students that two plus two is four, but when the students go up to the level of college, they are given freedom to find out the solutions themselves. In the same way, today the human race is on the brink of that jump, where, through its freedom, it must know that the highest thing is to achieve spiritual ascent. After every war, there is a so-called peacetime, but during the peacetime people are preparing for the next war. The reason is that they cannot forget and forgive the people whom they have fought or those who killed their kith and kin. It has to be realized that for the maintenance of world peace, we have to have some sort of a global organization. We have established the UN organization, but basically the UN cannot effectively fulfill this peace mission because it has no effective power of its own and is dependent on the wishes of its member states, who do not always act in unison. They all put forward their own individual ideas and their own demands to the UN, which is always dominated by America. Americans are not the right people to dominate the world because they are very immature and very sex-oriented. We have to have another, higher house for the UN. We can get very well-known judges, like those of the World Court at The Hague. 
These people should be elected by the whole world and should not come from any one particular country. They should have the necessary detachment and wisdom, as well as a great understanding of the problems that affect the peace of the world. This new body of the most distinguished persons on top of the UN can manage much more than the UN, which is absolutely under the thumbs of the countries which are governed sometimes by very odd governments. There is then the problem of getting adequate financial resources for running this new body, as well as the UN. Considering that governments are not willing to contribute large sums of money, it is extremely necessary to reduce the total number of UN employees and also to scale down their salaries. If the salaries are not as high as they are today, those who are purely money-oriented will not be attracted to the UN. In that situation, only the public-spirited people will join and work for the world body. Every effort should be made to secure the services of people of global eminence, possessing higher ideas and idealism to work in the true spirit of service. They should be persons of great intellect and high and renowned moral character. In particular, they should be very mature and highly experienced, so that they can clearly and properly understand the problems of the world, especially those affecting global peace. If persons of high eminence, integrity, wisdom, character and intellect are elected to the proposed new high body to direct and guide the entire United Nations system, the people of the world may have a new chance of seeing the world governed by righteousness and dharma and not by narrow selfishness, greed and immorality. In that case, world peace and a good social, political and moral order may yet be established. Such a high body, which we may call the Supreme Council, will not be dominated by any one country, not even by America. I sometimes feel that on the whole, the Americans are still very immature people. There have been very great Americans like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, but what one sees in America now is that people need to become mature, and this maturity will only come if they take to Saj Yoga, and not to some sort of evangelists or false gurus. We cannot say with certainty that this Supreme Council, which will be created to control the UN, will be absolutely perfect. First of all, they will not be paid very highly, but an honorarium will be given, and they may try to do something which is not honest if they are by any chance money-oriented. So the only conclusion one can reach is that this Supreme Council should be constituted by the election only of excellent Sajyogis. They have all the requisite qualities in abundance. They are selfless. They are compassionate. They are devoted to public interest without the slightest bias on grounds of race, religion or nationality. They will thus always make sound and proper decisions. Most importantly, the Supreme Council consisting of Sajyogis will spread the message of Saj Yoga throughout the world, not merely by words but by deeds, which will inspire all the people and thus ensure a new peaceful and just world order. Saj Yoga is thus the only solution to world problems because it will ensure the transformation of all human beings and thus create a new, highly evolved human race.